Hey everybody, welcome to the 110th episode of the JDO Show. I am your host, J. David Osborne, and today on the show, we have B.R. Yeager, the author of Amygdala Tropolis, which is sort of a Dennis Cooper's The Sluts meets 4chan, those weird-ass online communities. We have a really great talk about difficult art, about uh, being extremely online, about how none of this shit really matters, and how uh, writing is really cool. I really enjoyed talking to BR. I guess I just call him BR. Yeah, I guess that's fine. And I think you'll enjoy this episode as well. Before we get started, a quick thing. I do freelance edits. If you need your book fixed, if your book is missing something, please do contact me. I would love nothing more than to edit your sweet, sweet book into something beautiful, unique, intelligent, something that looks really good on a shelf, I'm here for you. My prices are cheap, but the work is not cheap. The work is deep. So email me, jdavidosborne at gmail.com. Hit me up on Twitter at brbjdo. Hit me up on Instagram at brbjdo. I got some I got some muscle pics over there. I'm getting really into lifting, folks. I love lifting so much. Almost as much as I love editing books. <laughs> oh, without further ado, I'm going to leave all that shit in. Without further ado, I really did enjoy this conversation and I appreciate his time and that he came onto my show. He's doing the cool shit, that stuff I'm really into. Mr. B.R. Yeager, the book is called Amygdalatropolis. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy this 110th episode of the JDO Show. Bye. All right, BR, thank you for coming on to the JDO Show. Awesome. Thanks, thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem, man. So this was kind of uh, apropos on my Twitter today. I have a buddy who was uh, talking shit about the book Kill All Normies by Angela Nagel. Mm. And uh, considering... The subject matter of Amygdalatropolis, which is your book, which we're going to talk about here in a little bit. Have you read Angela Nagel's book? And if so, how do you feel about it? Um, I've read some portions. I've read some uh, mainly articles of hers. Um, when I finished amid, uh, writing Amygdalatropolis, that was around when uh, Kill All Normies came out, and I was a bit burnt out on the topic. Um, so I, I've read some of it. Um, I think some of it is interesting. There's areas that I've read that um, resonate, I agree with. Uh, there's some that I don't necessarily, but um, yeah, it's, I, I don't really have any strong opinions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was kind of uh, when Kill All Normies came out, what was interesting about it was that it, it was kind of... Uh, to my mind, one of the first attempts that I saw to articulate 4chan culture to people who might not be familiar with it. So in in this book, you have a dude who's essentially on a 4chan type board, right? Mm-hmm. 4chan-esque, we shall say. Uh, or B, B-esque. I should, I should make it very clear that it's, it's more like B. Um, go ahead. Oh right! Uh, supposedly, it, it's uh, 
it it has been like it is like one of those difficult things because actually like when I was researching the book, um, I actually spent very very little time on 4chan or B at all, um, but that is probably the closest thing that most people have reference to. So, um, I, I don't really know what my point is, but like that. It, it is one of those kind of like strange kind of barrier things of that's kind of what represents maybe like the most like generally recognized um, like anonymous message board um, out there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's representative of like just a very kind of one of the ones that are out there. Yeah, um, I mean that that has to be. It's kind of splitting hairs, but sorry. No, 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 it's fine. It's okay to split hairs here, man. Like we can split all the hairs <laughs> you want, but um, but basically, I'm curious because I have spent um more time than I'd probably care to admit on B in places like it, especially in my younger days, and so I was kind of. Uh, I think that this is supposed to be a book where when people talk about it, they talk about it in terms of um, how it's, you know, satire and how it's kind of talking because, you know, the protagonist is this extremely antisocial person who um, is on this sort of message board that has all these violent videos of violent killings and rape and what have you. And I think that people like to talk about that stuff at a distance, right? But I actually, like, I've seen a lot of these websites, so I thought that it rang really true. So I was wondering how much uh, research you did, how much time did you spend on these uh, hives of scum and villainy? Well, likewise, I I am not exactly that uh, proud to admit the degree to which... uh, I was researching it was it was a pretty immersive process um it kind of it more or less grew out of like uh just a developing a morbid fascination um whenever i encounter something i don't exactly understand or something that like you know rubs me a certain way or something i tend to get very obsessive and fixated on it and in a way a book was uh the book was a way of justifying uh the amount of time that i was observing these you know if you could call them communities which i would go as far to say but um I thought that was just interesting, the idea to explore the idea of communities based around essentially antisocial behavior um, and kind of the paradox that arises from that. Yeah, it's interesting. I talk a lot on this podcast, too, about how I just I like really mean art. And Mm. I think that as people who kind of consume, there's a there's a great line in the book where I think one of the posters is trying to make some kind of intellectual justification for why they look at all this shit. And then there's a response to it where it's like people just like looking at fucked up shit. Right. And I like, I like that a lot because I think that we kind of dance around this idea as people who consume art that we, we we try to rationalize it away, right? We try to talk about it and be like, oh, this is why I did that. And it, when it gets down to it, I like mean shit. Does that make sense? No, yeah, that, that's absolutely fair. Um, you can say age-old uh, kind of fascination with 
negativity and uh, violence in the abject. Um, and it, yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. I, I think that there's a lot of different uh, angles that people try to paint it into and try, like you were saying, trying to justify or rationalize or something. Um, and yeah, I, I, I'm not really sure. It's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just one of those things. Yeah, no, it's just it's funny to me that yeah, people get really really uncomfortable about it because I'll tell some people about things that I would see when I was on B, for example, you know, and mm -hmm. you scroll by a lot of it. There's actually there was a lot of brony stuff. I remember that at at the time that I was on there, there was also a trend of. Um, posting a picture of a woman that, you know, you could have seen her on the street, or it could be somebody that you know, or sometimes people would say, hey, this is my sister, and they would ask people to, like, Photoshop her naked, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. So that was, that was a big trend that I would see. Um, lots and lots of misogyny. So, I mean, mm -hmm. I saw videos of, you know, beheadings and people getting their throats cut and lit on fire and stuff, but the one that where I was like, you know what, I think I'm done here, was I remember scrolling and it was a collection of gifts of um, women being like beaten to death, like having like their, their faces smashed in and stuff. And uh, I'm 90% sure that it wasn't special effects stuff, although I'm not sure why any of it was on camera. And uh, after I scrolled past that, I was like, I think I'm hanging up my, I think I'm retiring from this. Yeah, yeah, I know that's absolutely fair. Um, I, I mean, one of the kind of ironic things is that I'm actually like, to be like quite honest, I'm actually very, very uh, squeamish, um, actually, in, in real life. And one of the ways that I got through the research, because it, it was more like my interest wasn't necessarily and like, you can like, it, I'm not trying to say this as like a means of trying to like, uh, make myself seem like holier that than thou or anything like that, but mm -hmm. strictly on like a personal level of like my own squeamishness and discomfort around graphic images of, uh, suffering. Um, I, I did most of my, uh, searching and everything with, uh, video and image like disabled because, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I've seen, I've encountered enough of that stuff and mm -hmm. in the past as like done a number on my psyche enough and everything. I, I feel like I'm kind of like past the point of needing to, um, or even like seeking out any material, uh, like that just again, just strictly on like a personal level. Sure. Um, but no, that, that was the, I wouldn't I mean, it was really enough just reading what people were writing about and the descriptions and mm -hmm. of the videos and everything, enough and everything. Um, did a number on my headspace enough as it was that, you know, I don't think I would have fared too well with all of the video accompaniment for, you know, a year, year and a half of research. Yeah, no shit, right? Yeah, so what, what initially made you want to write this book? Um, mostly just kind of discovering um, discovering the boards. Um, and again, it, it mainly just grew out of a, uh, kind of this morbid fascination of um, and wanting to kind of understand the dynamic of, again, um, 
what kind of amounts to uh, of like youthful transgression essentially of like you know we have when you're a kid when you're a teenager you're pretty much an asshole mm. um mm-hmm. pushing boundaries you're doing um all sorts of things and there seem to be like checks and balances in sort of physical space uh where you eventually get you are confronted with the consequences of being an asshole of like you know doing terrible things to people and everything like pushing the world and feeling it pushed back and having that validation um but but there are enough like checks and balances in which where you like are like eventually it's like okay i'm gonna stop doing this because you know i'm hurting these other people um i'm alienating myself from others etc and everything um what i thought was interesting about i want to be careful because i don't want to say do kind of a uh some of like the hysteria like tech hysteria of it's like oh this was created by the internet i i don't Mm -hmm. think it was created by the internet it's you know it's it's people not the technology and everything but the fact that um people are able to it did have a platform to create a community um, and a social aspect that reinforces the attitudes and behaviors um, that are normally weaned off of uh, during adolescence and everything. Um, I really want to, wanted to explore that a little bit more and um, see how these pieces were kind of connecting together. Right. No, and that's that's a really interesting. And I think that where I would probably make the distinction in that age-old argument about like, does this cause antisocial behavior, or is it is it a chicken or an egg thing? I just I think that um, what you said was so important about it creating a space where it can continue past the point of it being uh, kind of acceptable teenage behavior and, right. and into adulthood, and also just for the teenagers in general, you know, like looking at Goatsy or, you know, that guy who crushes a mason jar with his asshole and picks all the glass out, like, while that might not cause any kind of psychosis or uh, mental breaks or anything like that, I'm sure it doesn't help either. You know what I mean? Right. And this this was an interesting thing. Um, I was talking with a uh, friend who uh, is a social worker in the mental health system and, um, they were talking about, and I'd have to like look into this a little bit more, um, about a very um, specific post-traumatic stress disorder that's uh, been developing. That's linked. It's linked to um, people who pilot drones and warfare and mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. things like that, and people who and. I think that there's links to people who view an enormous amount of um, real and violent content um, online. And part of having that emotional uh, remove of, you know, seeing these terrible things that are traumatizing, but having the, this level of distance um, and at such a volume, um, it has a traumatic effect that is specifically very, like, numbing. It's in that it's very – it's almost more difficult to process um, or have a catharsis that leads to kind of – turning it into a narrative and processing it better um, than even if you saw it experience something firsthand, which isn't to say that's worse than experiencing trauma firsthand, but might be acting in a uh, 
you know, unique and different way. Um, again, not the cause of these things, but um, the, the thing I always like think about is that, you know, like kids have been gigging frogs or doing terrible things to like animals and stuff as sort of a rite of passage from childhood to adulthood and everything. Um, so that's been happening forever and everything, mm -hmm. but having a community of that reinforces, you know, we've never, you always had to do like kids would always have to do that in secret and yeah, everything, yeah. you know, like, and normally after you have, you do that, um, it's just kind of like, okay, that was fucking terrible. Um, I'm not going to do that again because there is that firsthand experience of kind of seeing these things. Having a remove from that, I think, and a community that reinforces um, those behaviors or indulgences or anything like that, um, I, I think does have a effect I, I i'm not qualified to say what that impact is or anything but i think it would be ridiculous to say that it doesn't have an effect i i feel like it's had an effect on me yeah, um yeah and i would go so far as to like take it even further and you know stuff that i hate to put myself in the tipper gore camp but you know i mean violent video games and and shit like that too i mean it's just it's basically what you're saying about it almost sounds like how you would make uh, to use a Game of Thrones reference, uh, like a little King Joffrey, a bunch of little King Joffreys, right? Where he's a, I don't know if you're familiar with the show or the books or whatever, but he's this insane boy king who murders and tortures people for fun. And when he starts off, he's just a little shithead, you know? But the thing is, right. is that when you're a little shithead, which is par for the course for a 10, 11, 12-year-old boy, and you all of a sudden are surrounded by people who are like, oh, no, it's it's good to act that way. That's that's the way we should be. That's when you end up with, you know, people who grow up to, I don't know, stab hookers to death. Right. Or or what have you. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't have too much to add to that. Right, right. Um, that but um, yeah. And I, I think that having another i think another like big part of that as well too um and i think that this is where um some of uh the areas where i do kind of agree with uh nagel in um some of the articles that i've read is there is also this kind of aspect of um there's a overall societal aspect to it in that um we are we are inhabiting a culture in a space where there is uh, less amounts of autonomy or at least the sense of that, um, that there's this sense of uh, not being able to have any meaningful impact um, in, you know, your community or the world at large or anything outside of yourself. Essentially, it's a very like consumer um, based culture. Um, and I think that a lot of what attracts a lot of these, you know, calm kids, adults, posters, whatever, um, is the ability to, you know, do something that has a that, that has a very material and provable impact on the world in a way. It, it, it's a it's a negative one. It's a um, you know, strictly disruptive. It's not constructive in any way. Um, but it is, I think it having that 
experience of, again, like pushing the world and feeling it pushed back um, when we're mostly just kind of accustomed to, you know, buying things, consuming them. And it's a very one way um, interaction with uh, the world at large. It's not accurate. Having that perspective isn't accurate in any way. Um, but I think that as a, you know, it's the shortest and easiest way of ha- feeling as though you are real in a way, um, having that evidence. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I never thought about it that way. Well, that, yeah, I guess that is sort of what Nagel says there. But um, I was also I was thinking about uh, kind of the next generation of this too. You know, where right now we have people who go on to 4chan and B and what have you. Um, have you seen these uh, these YouTube videos that are put together completely by algorithms? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Can you, can you, uh, cause you'll probably do a better job explaining it than, than I would, but it's like my nephew showed me when he's five years old and he's like, look, it's scary SpongeBob. And it's like SpongeBob with Joker face paint. And there's like these things called the finger friends that it's all extremely creepy, but kids seem to love it. Right, right. Um, to the best of my knowledge, what they are are uh, these videos that are um, essentially put together um, by these te- small teams of uh, animate. Uh, like uh, you can say amateur, but they're making tons of money off of it. Mm-hmm. Um, amateur uh, animators and programmers who are using uh, search engine optimization to try to find what um, keywords are going to get the most uh, searches. Um, and it's targeting uh, children. So you have these uh, completely unlicensed kind of underground uh, com- weird computer animated videos featuring uh, Elsa from Frozen and Spider-Man. And uh, the Joker is, as you were saying, is in a lot of them and SpongeBob. Um, interacting in these uh, pause uh, the one that I went down a uh, internet K hole of like um, unlicensed pause patrol ones. So just bizarre and horrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, but just these very, very disturbing um, in videos of these children's show characters interacting in a way that's not dissimilar from a children's show, but just utterly bizarre and like not disturbing in a very, um, overt way, such as lots of sex or violence or anything like that, but in ways of like, oh, you know, here we have pregnant Spider-Man, pregnant Hulk, and pregnant Joker, um, and then Elsa comes by, uh, police officer Elsa comes by, waves a magic wand, and they give birth to uh, a bunch of like fire trucks or something like that, yeah. um, and then they kick the fire trucks away or something, um, and there's hundreds if not thousands of these videos it's right such a bizarre phenomena yeah yeah because they're 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 created by like the initial animations are done by a team but my understanding of it is that it's then given over to some kind of algorithm so there's some kind of almost like google deep dreams element to the the construction of the things where it's not even people making it it's people supplying the general um imagery and ideas a lot of it is oddly enough pregnancy (laughs) and then just kind of seeing how the computer rearranges all these elements so that kids will keep clicking and they'll keep getting ad revenue 
Right, right. Um, yeah, I, I don't entirely understand what the uh, formal process is. Um, that, but yeah, no, it's utterly bizarre and completely enthralling. <laughs> how how long did you spend in that hole? Oh, it, it was about. I, I was actually using it as. Um, sort of end of the day like wind down fodder um just because i you know i have uh, things that like stress a lot of people out like you know give me like lots and lots of calm uh, oftentimes um so yeah i know that was what i was doing at like the end of like a work night or something like that um i'd watch like a few hours for about a week and then i kind of lost interest in it (laughs) maybe that could be the next book right Maybe it'll be all about this. It'll take place in that YouTube world, you know? Which oh, is God. Elsa and Spider-Man and Hulk, and they all get pregnant and give birth to fire trucks. Like, that seems like something your publisher would publish, right? They like weird stuff. Yeah, 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 totally. I, I don't think I could do it justice. I think um, I would bring probably too much... Uh, it'd probably be too contrived if I <laughs> tried my hand at it. You know, there's... Yeah. the You can't really, like, beat the... Uh, the raw material there. Sure. sure. What is this now? Is this your first book, Amygdalatropolis? Yes. Yes. So, what kind of stuff were you reading leading up to this? Like, what what are your influences that led to the creation of this book? Um, and I think you were talking about it um, with uh, Connor. At I was listening to some of the uh, earlier podcasts, um, and uh, I, I mean, like. Dennis Cooper um, right. is a right. big one. Um, he, I don't know. He he writes. I think that age incredibly well. In that he, uh, it's not a pre- patronizing take on young people, but also doesn't uh, glamorize or anything. Right. Like, like right. There, you, you you always have these like books with like kids who like talk like geniuses and. Uh, and then you also have like a lot of uh, media that like really doesn't I don't think does justice to um, you know adolescents or the young people or the depth that's there right. um, that does exist there, and, and he like uh, he's able to write that like really realistically. But um, so I mean I think Dennis Cooper was a really big influence, um, and like you had mentioned I know that you'd mentioned the Sluts, which is a terrific book, um, and another one that kind of you jumps between um sh- text that represents a online forum and more narrative and traditional prose um oh i mean that that's always a tough one i mean yeah. you know like I, I i don't necessarily the books that i'm reading at the time that i'm writing something don't necessarily inform um what i've what the content or the style of what i'm writing like directly like um i think i was like reading a lot of like ray bradbury or um cormac mccarthy and um interesting no there's a you're talking about dennis cooper and the sluts what's so fun about that book to me is how it plays with uh truth and um with identity also like who is this like who are like, are people who they say they are basically and one influence that i could definitely see in the amygdala is i was reading through it and when 
when our protagonist, who's called uh, 1404er, which is how I thought about it in my head. I don't know if you add the slashes in or not when you say it. But um, when he's reading the board, it's an anonymous board. So everybody's named that, right? And so right. when you when I started reading it, I was thinking it always seemed like some something that was outside of the protagonist. And then I sat back and thought, I was like, wait, like any of these could be him, right? Or he could be he could be talking to himself. You know what I mean? So I thought that, that was that tripped me out while I was reading it. And I, I really kind of like enjoyed that element of it. Right. Oh, that's awesome. Um, but yeah, a- absolutely. The uh, I think that what you were saying about um, in the sluts, the idea of uh, truth and and how, um, you know, manipulating perceptions, um, you know, using truth as a kind of an unknowable um, as it's explained throughout the boards i mean that's that's a huge um influence and one thing that i was like trying to explore with amygdalatropolis because um you have throughout the entire thing there's like very uh, little to no indication of what is actually real and what's occurring like um and occasionally you get like these little shocks of like this thing is definitely real mm-hmm. or this is this thing is improbable or something um and that's one thing that i've really liked about um dennis cooper's right with uh the sluts and the the ending of uh frisk is just like one of my favorite um oh, it's the best part oh my god just that shift from just abject horror and dread to this beautiful release about you know the power and beauty of imagination like i i i don't know that just like knocked the wind out of me it was just i was was reading i was reading that part while i was laying in bed my wife is around doing some things and like i put the book down uh before the the end end right the extended probably i don't know 10 percent of the book is towards the end and it's just this uh, like child murder and rape basically uh it's just it's just so so like exacting and difficult to read and you're sitting there like wait why am i even doing this to myself you know actually kind of very similar toward to going to one of these anonymous boards but the difference i think between the kind of hellish inescapability of nihilism of these anonymous boards and the dennis cooper book is that in the dennis cooper book like you said there's this um lifting of the curtain i guess and like hey isn't it cool that we can like do this that we can think we can write these thoughts down and so that yeah there's there's no bigger i think uh whatever the reverse of a heel turn is that I think I've ever read, period. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Like that I, I, I just love like everything I've read of his work. Um it's just truly, truly terrific. Um and huge influence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that what he does so well and then what something like Amygdalatropolis does so well. I like books, man, that um that I could never really see as a movie. Because mm. I think I'm guilty of this, and a lot of authors that I know are also guilty of this, is that we write pretty straightforward stories that where you know we're, we're acting as a camera almost. And mm-hmm. the thing about books, and the thing that books can do that nothing else can do, 
yet is that books are these incredible lie machines, basically. I mean, you have movies that have, um, you know, special effects or whatever, but we all know that special effects are special effects. But as soon as you give yourself into the world of a book, even more so than a movie, if you're willing to go along for that ride, you're at the mercy of whatever the narrator tells you, right? And so I think that that's what makes a book special when it doesn't necessarily focus too much on the ABC plot thing, but more on the, you know, what is what is real? Like, what are you feeling? Why are you feeling this thing? What's happening? That's something that I think books still have a pretty solid grasp on. Absolutely. And, and um, one of the major things that books, I think, are able to do that, um, you know, film or other mediums aren't, uh, maybe music in this case, is really uh, expressing um, internal experience and the kind of hallucinatory and like psychedelic like aspects of um you know, inhabiting a, you know, being a consciousness, you know, inhabiting, um, having thoughts, um, having, being able to like make connections between abstract connections, um, being able to hallucinate and dream and being informed by all of these like non, um, material, uh, or, uh, non, uh, outside, <laughs> um, external, uh, you know, stimuli and like while being, you know, it's, um, when I was, uh, one of the things that was really inspirational also in terms of, I guess, like the more, um, abstract and kind of, uh, non literal parts of, uh, being Dolatropolis was, um, you know, blood Meridian, um, by Cormac McCarthy Mm -hmm. and the ways that it would shift, in terms of describing very real things and then how the prose would shift into being very, very um, abstract, like almost like in, impenetrably abstract. But um, it, was, it was something that like couldn't be done in a film. It, like it doesn't wouldn't make any sense for it to be that um, – I wish I had like the passage in my head. It probably doesn't make sense. Uh, me babbling about it and everything, but, but exactly like what you were saying and everything is that there's n- there's all of these different um, aspects of experience that more straightforward mediums aren't really able to convey that books do exceptionally well. Um, yeah, and those are definitely like the ones that I think are like most interesting, like exploring uh, those spaces. Well, it's like the ending of Blood Meridian. You're never, you're not, you have a pretty good idea of what happens to the kid, right? With the judge. Right. I mean, but it's not super explicit and it leaves you with more of just a feeling. And I don't, I of all the parts of Blood Meridian that I don't, I couldn't see being pulled off on film, which, you know, they've been threatening that for fucking years now at this point. Uh, like Ridley Scott's going to make it now. James Franco is going to make it, you know, whatever. But I think the ending, like, how would you do the ending? It'd be so difficult. Like, I don't think you it would, you'd have to literalize something that isn't supposed to be literalized, right? Right. Or, or the the moments um, when 
you know, like when the entire like space turns black and they're essentially like walking through void and everything like you can do that like visually and everything, but it wouldn't have the same emotional impact of um, it, it just wouldn't. There's no way it would like you were saying it would turn into a special effect um, as opposed to sort of a recording of what it feels like to be in this world. Like mm-hmm. it's not um, and I think that's like one of the things with uh film is that it's very hard to do abstract and the a sense of like internal feeling yeah. um and an internal experience on the screen because like when you see something it tends to just literalize it right. uh yeah right you almost have to like i mean I, i've watched several movies recently on mushrooms and that that helps break down that barrier but it seems almost uh, yeah. like without without any kind of um assistance from plant helpers um it's really difficult for film to to be anything more than just a a person up on a stage you know like i I like watching uh sitcoms because it's so it's clearly not trying to connect with me it's just trying Mm -hmm. to show me some funny shit you know so i get a kick out of those but like as soon as and that's not i mean it's not true of all film there are movies that i I love david lynch for example right i think he probably comes the closest to you know what, folks like uh, what folks like you and other folks on on your press um, or the press that published you. You know what I'm saying? Like are are, yeah, are yeah. trying to do with words, right? It's just I think it's a little bit easier with words, but the issue is that uh, it's hard to get people to sit down and read that because oh, it's yeah. hard to get people to sit down and read to begin with. And then if you tell them, okay, this isn't exactly um, a story, it's going to make you feel kind of bad, but it right. has value. <laughs> it becomes tough, right? Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. Like I, I have no idea how to. Um, I mean, the book's been out for a year, and I like have no clue how to uh, pitch it or like sell it to anyone. Um, again, it's like one of those things where it's like, and that's fine. And like, I'm happy to have um, anybody reading it at all. And I understand that's like a work with extremely, extremely uh, limited appeal. Um, and that's just the way it is. And that's what I, I'm happy that there's just presses out there that are able to, and willing to, um, you know, put out things with such limited appeal. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I, I may have, uh, forgotten the last question, uh, the, uh, what well, you were saying. I think but, we just kind of yeah. keep going from that. Cause this is always interesting to me because it's sort of the arena that I play in, like the small press, you know, the stuff that's kind of, that I think is is awesome and that it seems to me almost that there's a group of writers who are writing books kind of for each other. And mm-hmm. if you're into that thing, you read a book like Amygdala Tropolis and you're like, holy shit, like this is, this is my shit, you know? But it's like most of the world is reading James Patterson. So like, what can you do? You know what I mean? But on your earlier note about not knowing what to do with it, I have an idea because there's this book I think that sold pretty well about 10 years ago called uh, The Average American Male by Chad Colton. I don't know if you are familiar with this novel or not. Huh, no, not at all. Well, it was kind of uh, surprising. I remember reading it. I think it was something that was uh, recommended on the Tucker Max message board, which I was a part of. This is just a time time for revelations. (laughs) Yes, back when I was in high school, I was on the Tucker Max message board. Sorry, everybody. (laughs) Um, but, uh, so it's basically, it's this kind of first person account 
of uh, this guy who's just obsessed with uh, sex and like internet porn and like watching fucked up shit on the internet. And uh, it's absolutely fascinating. And I think it sold pretty well. So I think that I think you might be selling this one a little bit short in that I think that this one does have uh, some appeal. I would just say that people need are, have to have, I guess, the stomach for it. Right, maybe. I, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure. Like again, like I never, and this isn't like an attempt at like false humility or anything. I'm like very just like by nature. I have like no clue of like where my standing is in terms of like who I am or anything that I produce. It's just like mm-hmm. a defect in my brain. Um, but it's a good uh, defect like, to have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, maybe maybe outwardly. I don't know. Um, but it's. I mean, like I, like obviously, I think that there's a there's an angle that can be done uh, with a way that like Megalopolis can be like pushed forward or something like that and everything. I don't necessarily know what it like. I, I'm not a marketing person. Like I have mm-hmm. no mm-hmm. clue like that arena whatsoever. Um, I wish wish that I did, but it's that's just not a area of my ability or expertise, which again is fine. But um, yeah, I wouldn't really necessarily like know where to start. Like, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I appreciate that there are groups of people out there who are kind of like me, who are just sort of writing this stuff. It it it, it feels like it's being written for each other, and I think it's like a it's it's a cool kind of moment that we're that people like you and I've been reading stuff by, you know, Gary Shipley and Blake Butler and other, other folks on, on, on uh, what, what's, what press put out your book? Schism? Schism too? Uh, Schism. Yeah. 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 Schism has a bunch of really cool shit out there. Um, And I just, I just think it's, it's really cool. It feels kind of, uh, it feels almost underground because it's, it's difficult to access, right? Right, right. Oh, absolutely. And and I think that's like, whenever I like hear things about like, you know, like, oh, reading is dead or literature is dead. Or like, I, I always hate the uh, the thing. I was like, oh, the only people who like read uh, like small press books or like books in general are writers. It's like, so fucking what? That's yeah. terrific. Like right. uh, that. Um, and like, that's been like one of like the really, maybe like one of my favorite things about, um, you know, even just having a book out is like being able is having that access to finding different writers that I wouldn't necessarily encounter otherwise just because of like being engaged in the same activity and such. Um, and like, yeah, like just having a community of people who are, um, who are writers who are making books who are reading each other's work i think it's incredibly cool um and i think that yeah it is like a really exciting like time and like the you know like the anxiety over kind of big publishing and like you know me like having i don't know like a lot of the you know i guess like anxieties were like the stupid death of the novel um rhetoric and like article think pieces and stuff that come out and everything um it's like really like missing like a lot of the point and a lot of what is like the most cool and interesting stuff right now i think right now it's an incredible time for um books and writing Mm -hmm. yeah no i i agree with you and i think that 
what when people say death of the novel, like that Will Self article, it feels like Will Self does a death of the novel article every time one of his new novels comes out. It's almost right. It's approaching performance art at this point. Uh, right. But the thing is, is what they're always saying is the days of me being the the art king of you know shit fuck mountain or whatever have have long passed. The days of you know, wearing robes everywhere and smoking cigars and having adoring people throw themselves at me because I, they can't wait for my next, the next part in my serialized orphan novel, right? Like those right. days are long past. So it's them lamenting that they can't be superstars with their particular skill set, you know? And right. The whole thing about having a fan base at all, if it reaches a certain point, and I don't think there's anything wrong with this either if it's the direction that you choose to go, but it seems that. The problem with having a fan base is that you are by necessity going to have to, let's say, smooth out the rough edges of whatever it is that you're working on. I wouldn't necessarily call that selling out. I think that it's just maybe polishing for a for almost a completely different medium, right? But the problem mm. is, is that you'd have to do that. You you there's no way that like the stuff that I work on and that I like. Uh, and that like that you've written and stuff like it's not you know it's not going to be sitting next to a James Patterson book in order for us to get there we, there would be a certain amount of let's say polishing or you could call it selling out i guess if you wanted to <laughs> like to to get to that point but my question but my thing is outside of the obvious monetary gain and it's okay to not want that too like you're saying i mean it like right now it's just a cool th- thing that's happening and there's so much cool shit out there and people are you know taking things that their peers have done and working on them and and expanding on them in their own way. And it really does kind of feel like, yeah, I mean, so, you know, like maybe hundreds of thousands of people aren't buying this stuff, but it's like weird, we're doing a cool, almost, almost decentralized thing. Like we're making little communities of people who like each other's shit. Like it's, <laughs> it almost seems like it's mixed up because like the books cost money that we seem to mistake it for a capitalistic enterprise. Does that make sense? Right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And like there, I think what, like what you were saying is like, there's the, um, I guess like mainstream discourse gets really tied up with, um, the sort of the loss of like have the prestige, um, I want to almost like call them properties, but like the prestige, like authors who are like the James Patterson's and everything, you know, like lamenting the loss of that when it's like, yeah, no, it's like, well, I guess like what, um, the article that was uh, about broken river books about like, you know, like the, the point of, um, small presses of like being, getting the books into people's hands and everything. So like making them at a affordable price where you, you aren't like necessarily like reaping a profit on everything. Mm -hmm. I I think, I think that's like just such a terrific model in terms of what, I mean, I I think that there's, you know, if people want to like read, like if millions and millions of people want to read James Patterson and he like, if he wants to get rich and everything, that's absolutely fine and everything. But having, like you were saying, just having this or like, you know, put out like a erotica book, like every week on Kindle or something yeah, like that and yeah. make a living. That's absolutely fine. And I think that that's awesome that that's an avenue for some people to do that. Um, th- there's no like one way or anything. I, 
like you're saying, I do think that it's like very cool and a very positive and the part of the aspect of um, books and literature right now that makes me really excited is these you know small presses like Schism or Broken River or inside inside the castle um, that are doing these like incredibly strange. Um, I, like, I don't want to say almost even like say niche, like it's because that almost, it, it seems like that's even, they're so unique that like, even to call it niche is like almost too much of a category. There's just like so much exciting stuff going on. Um, I would say the thing that like puts something like schism and in inside the castle in the same boat. And I know it's not a genre, but it's, it's the the kind of thing where if you're gonna, appreciate those books you have to have kind of a baseline understanding of um of what the books are trying to do which is kind of puts it into a genre because okay let me say like in a horror book you know that what a horror book is trying to do is to scare you and in a, a comedy you know that it's trying to make you laugh in a book by one of those two presses you have to understand almost on a book by book level kind of what that book is trying to do and it's something that comes to you as you read it and you have to be sort of uh hyped by that process because if you're not you just become confused right right well well it's like a like an inducive uh form of writing or reading like it's it's inducive storytelling like um on schism have you gone into uh have you checked out um uh an ideal for living uh, by Eugene Thacker Mm-mm, at no. all. No. Uh, that's that, that was the book that uh, introduced me to schism fascinating book. And um, I, I think like one of the things that it does that makes me really excited about a lot of the books that uh, inside the castle and schism and such are putting out um, is that I think like what you were saying about like trying to understand what the book is trying to do. I think part of it is also just kind of accepting to have, have like go into it with sort of a free fall mentality and like letting the book kind of do whatever it, it can to yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like, cause like there's like books that I've like read where it's like the meaning of it and what I think that's doing changes every time I read it. It's almost like reading a different book um, each time, depending on my own kind of plate where I am in life and like what's on my mind. Um, and having something that does, that's able to have such drastically uh, like a static art, like a book, mm-hmm. like book being able to do different like dynamic things each time you read it. I think that that's incredibly fascinating and just mm-hmm. awe inspiring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And I think, I think that it's just kind of, again, it just, it's, it's really important to sort of know what it is that you want out of books. Right. Cause like books, much like music and film, it's like, it's not a monolith. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, right. pop songs, you can have avant-garde, you know, Mike Patton eating eggs into a microphone type shit, you know, like, it's all different and it all depends on what you want. But um, one other kind of thing that you were talking about that made me sort of think about this is that I think it's important then also for authors to kind of adjust their expectations based on what they're doing. Right. Cause I have, mm-hmm. I have seen authors who write the kind of things that you and I enjoy reading um, online, sort of lamenting that they don't sell and that a lot of people don't read them. And to me that, is that's very strange right 
because I, uh, I, I have, and I'm, I'm guilty of it. I have lamented when my sales haven't been where I wanted them to be, but I always have to kind of like take it back and be like, well, David, I mean, if, if you really wanted to sit down and write a 80,000 word, uh, novel that follows the Campbellian hero's journey and, you know, you really like put your mind to it, I'm sure you could write that. I'm sure you could, who knows if it would be any good, but you could, you could do that. And then, then you could try to sell that because that's what a bunch of people would want to buy because that's what's popular, you know? So I think that there's what, what gets so interesting and just, I guess every once in a while on these podcasts, I like to give authors a takeaway and it's like, just have a realistic expectation for the kind of thing that you do. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, like, I think the funniest thing is that, like, like you were saying about these um, experimental or transgressive authors, like lamenting, uh, is that it often gets framed in like, as that as though it's a uh, result of the state of books and literature right now as though like that hasn't like that hasn't always like of course there's been like you know there's that's just the way things are that's just how culture and pop culture functions and that's absolutely fine like i i think that there it's fine to have you know like the existence of mass appeal does not denigrate a medium at all in a way like you know you know that's just the way things are um you know, the there weren't a lot of people like reading like Bataille or like <laughs> whatever, yeah, like yeah, right. like back in uh, his era or anything like that. You know, it was like limited because um, it's limited appeal stuff and everything, and that's absolutely fine. Like, I think finding you know other writers whose work resonates with you, with finding like you know reader sh- uh, readership whose work resonates with you, even if it's just a handful of people, I think that that's just that alone is just like an amazing thing. Mm-hmm. And having the ac- the expanded access of um, having print on demand, though, like I, I, I'm not like a the forces behind uh, things that enable a lot of services. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That are and everything the, you know aren't beyond critique but and or you know condemnation or there's sure, yeah. there's terrible evil motherfuckers like running some very very convenient and enabling services yeah. um but that i have definitely been from but the is <laughs> the existence of those enabling systems i i mean it, it's awesome that there are yeah. writer the writers that like don't have to um you know, like rely like we that we don't have to rely on just like a monolithic, um, you know, five or six publishing companies. Sure. And I think I think that's something that has happened also to our brains because of things like Twitter and Facebook, social media in general, Amazon, is that um, when it comes to the idea of large groups versus small groups, we've gotten those two things kind of uh, mixed up. Right. So mm-hmm. before the Internet, obviously, most people's social circles, I would guess, rarely went over 100 people, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, a little bit later when the internet was invented, it was mostly confined to niche message boards where you would go to talk to people about things that uh, particularly interested you, which in its own kind of amorphous way is kind of what this genre of experimental fiction is doing that we're talking about, right? It's it's almost like this kind of huge meta message board, right? Where like, mm-hmm. people are replying to each other in the form of, 160 pages of strange typing. Um, 
And then, but we also have this thing that comes along. It's Facebook, right? It's Twitter. And it's, and it's taking this idea, it's giving everybody this idea that they could become someone who is listened to by a large group of people. And that, mm-hmm. that temptation and that, um, that impulse, I think, infected all of our brains, not just writers, not just artists in general, but people. Like the idea that all of a sudden we have a bullhorn really kind of fucked with us, right? And so I think mm-hmm. we're going back. And I think that if we had kind of stuck with small message board culture and we had, you know, put these books together and put them for sale on this platform and, you know, the people on the message board bought it, talked about it, loved the ideas, and then somebody else did something else sort of in response to that, we'd be able to see much more clearly what this was. But we've confused that world for a world of commerce. And I don't think there's any wrong with anything wrong with doing both. I think if you were to have like, you know, if you wanted to make a living writing as it were, right? I don't, mm-hmm. I don't see anything wrong with like making a pen name and doing, like you said, like erotica every week. Cause I actually like that idea from a performance art standpoint anyway. Uh, but making an erotica novel every week, if that's really your thing and you're not being cynical about it. And then also on the other side, you know, making these, these books for, for your community essentially. Um, but I just think that people have gotten them fucked up and, and twisted up, basically. Right, right. Uh, absolutely. And one of the – and I think that this is just like a, you know, a result of it being a very like recent adoption by uh, – the wider culture and everything of the uh you know social media and the internet like we we're still trying to figure out how to compartmentalize what are essentially these tools um and these services in with the rest of our lives in terms of how we perceive ourselves and how we perceive each other um i think that one of the issues and something that i like run into quite a bit is like mistaking um your presence in these digital spaces um for like the the entirety of uh one's existence or mm-hmm. whatever i'm not sure if that makes sense or anything but um yeah i think it like and i don't think that that's necessarily like a you know castigation like to you know a um i don't, I don't think that like it necessitates condemning like any generation i don't think it's necessarily a generational thing i, I think I it's know. like part of just growing pains in terms yeah. of you know figure you know there's been this massive shift over the past uh 10 15 20 years and you know we're trying to sort of catch up in terms of how we compartmentalize and you know process these um new aspects of our lives mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. are very very removed from how we were living before i think people also the people who seem to be doing the best with this are the people who are able to step back from the kind of social elements social implications uh the idea of being watched by others and performing for others People who are able to simply use this thing as a tool, I think mm-hmm. for the most part are pretty successful with it. And I, I don't necessarily mean the guy on Twitter who has 10,000 followers, but is also following 10,000 people and puts out a post every day that's like hashtag this and hashtag, because I don't necessarily even think that that person's not doing it for in the way that I kind of am saying, but there, there are people out there, personalities almost, who are just very good at, as soon as a new technology comes out, they understand how it can be used uh, to 
put their art out there, their personal brand, if you're not disgusted mm-hmm. by that term. It's like, mm-hmm. it's, but it's people who understand the, the, the tool capabilities of this technology instead of, you know, thinking like this is high school, right? Like this is, oh great, this is a, right. brand, a brand new wing has been added on to the high school of my life that I now have right. to walk up and down to class, right? Like, so, um, yeah, I get, I mean, <laughs> It, it it does every time I have these conversations I end up feeling so uh, kind of refreshed because I need that reminder every once in a while too I mean like Twitter's not fucking real you know like none of this is right. real um, right yeah no oh god I, I absolutely hear you um, and, and like you know I, I absolutely like agree that and I like am incredibly incredibly envious of people who do are able to just see it as who are very good at using uh, social media as just a tool for accomplishing a certain goal or something like that like I have that you know it's not that I don't have that desire or something like that I mean the reason like in all honesty the one of the main reasons I'm on social media at all is in part because I have a book that I'm hoping to like get out to people and everything mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i don't i don't i don't think i'm good at utilizing it in that way necessarily um especially not compared to like people who are like really really excellent at it. but you know that's the intent there um and it's not to say that like you know there hasn't been other aspects that have like being able to um again, like engage with like other writers and everything who are doing work that interests me and stuff like that. Um, but ultimately the reason I'm on social media is to serve a practical aim. Um, the only problem is that I'm like not particularly good at doing that. Uh, Same here. Yeah. But, and it also doesn't mean that I like don't get sucked into the whole thing of like, it's like, Oh, what are a whole bunch of people's opinion on this thing <laughs> yeah, that I need to get exactly. flooded by? Um, which is like one of the like main. I, I'm, you know, I'm I'm probably not long for Twitter. I'm probably gonna be like off of it like mm-hmm. in like the next couple of weeks because it's just like, you know, I like I work for from home doing like, you know, stuff online. So I'm on the computer all the time. I like are I like so I don't have any reason not to look at this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So I do. And it's just not doing me any good. It's like destroying my ability to, to like maintain an intention, uh, attention and focus. And it's just, yeah, just fuck it. It's no, it's it's basically it's a bunch of people I've noticed uh, who pretty much spend their entire day looking for ideologies that they can use as weapons against other people. Uh, just mm-hmm. and it, to me. I mean, it's, it sounds embarrassing, but I had a pretty bad writer's block over the past uh, year or so. And when I really like did some meditating on it and thought about it, it was because essentially every time I went on social media, I was seeing from multiple places people tweeting things to the extent of like white people should shut the fuck up, like stop making art, stop being involved in this, like create space for people of color, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I had to like take a step back and be like, okay, first of all, you need to grow up because who cares what these people are saying? Second Mm -hmm. of all, these people are not representative of the ideologies that they purport to espouse because I also know most of my friends are extreme left type people who uh, don't use that kind of stuff as a way to kind of advance their own career and, you know, tear other people down. It's just, you know, it's 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 theory it's ideology you know what i mean like it doesn't it's not connected to any like personal gain 
the way that it seems to be with people on, on Twitter. But I also just had to go back and be like, this, none of this is real. Like, this isn't mm. real people. You know, I saw four, like three or four, let's say I see three or four people in a day all saying some shit like that. Um, the consequence of which is me as somebody who takes these kind of things to heart thinking like, hmm, maybe I should shut up, you know, maybe I shouldn't say anything. Um, but that's like just, it's just three or four people, like picture a crowd of a hundred thousand people and then three or four people are saying shitty things. It's just crazy how our brain works that way, where I internalize that shit when it was just, it was such a minor thing. It's kind of, it's, it's a little bit of uh weak mindedness there, I think on my part, but I just had to like st- take a step back and be like, dude, relax. It's not fucking real. Well, right. And like, I, I, I like, I hear that too, in terms of like, if I find myself like internalizing things too much, which I'm like apt to do. Um, and, and I think that like one thing, again, it's like a big, one of the big issues is that we haven't really learned how to compartmentalize what, um, Twitter or a web presence or Facebook or whatever, um, represents, especially of like an individual, like of like what it represents of the people who are participating, including myself or you or whoever, like, um, I do think that like, and that's like one of the weird things of like, I think that a lot of people, uh, you know, use, uh, social media as like a means of like venting. Um, and like some people use it as like a way of trying to like push a certain thing, you know, like people use social media for all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. But I think, um, one of the really, one of the things that we have a lot of trouble with is mistaking, one's like web presence for like the entirety of their person mm-hmm. or um and like i'm incredibly guilty of doing this of like making these like very like snap or like big judgments of like what some people are like saying who i don't know and everything and like thinking of it as being like representative of like a whole or right, like representative right. like a lot of people or something like that or represent the of, of the entirety of that person too like you know maybe they were like just pissed off had to like yeah. you know i don't know like what was going on with them when they were like posting that thing or anything mm-hmm. so i think like that's one of the things that like we're is getting us into like so much like trouble right now is kind of like fixating on what we're perceiving to be you know, the holes of these people's existence and everything just gathered up from like a few like posts and everything. And mm-hmm, like, you know, mm-hmm. and especially with like the limits on Twitter, like having to like lacking the nuance and everything, but yeah. Right. And it's, you know, and it's, it goes so many different ways. I have really started to think about like exactly what you're talking about, but even kind of a wider scope. And I, was thinking about it in terms of Kanye West, who's made a dramatic mm. return to Twitter. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I was thinking about the fact that, you know, he said that he liked Donald Trump because Donald Trump uh, had a meeting with him and Obama never had a meeting with him. Now, I love Kanye mm. West, but I'm not, he's not my dad. He, I'm not related to him. So I'm willing to point out that he is a complete narcissistic, egomaniacal asshole. Like that's right. That's 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 fair. Now, the thing is is that people who hate his guts, I tend to think that uh a lot of it has to do with the fact that he's black and rich. I think a lot of people mm-hmm. can't like can't and he's and he's not humble. So I think that just like mm-hmm. really rubs people the wrong way, but 
When he said, I love Trump, people sort of latched onto that. And because I'm a Kanye fan, I thought about it from a completely different angle. And I was trying to figure out how to defend him, you know, the way we do. We protect our biases. <laughs> and, you know, it's 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 a it's a goofy, dumb, stupid thing to say. And it was not the first or last goofy, dumb, stupid thing that he'd said. But I, I did come to the conclusion that I don't even know if, like, a person saying I'm a Trump voter or I'm a fan of Trump, I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing anymore like i don't know if i could just write a person off because of that the way i used to does that make sense mm. yeah yeah absolutely I, I i mean like then this is like mostly just for like my own sanity and the psyche and everything uh the thing i always like try to ask myself if i'm like getting overtly upset like overly upset about or frustrated with or internalizing uh, what someone is doing is like is this person like impacting policy in any way like w what's this person's like mm -hmm. level of influence and like you, you can say like with like kanye west like there's you know obviously he has like an enormous platform um etc cetera, etc cetera, resources and everything but it's like w is it worth me being upset or frustrated or concerned about this certain thing. Um, I'm not always successful. In fact, I'm often not successful. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, like, I, I think, like, it's, like, there's... Like, one of the things, like, the big things, like, lately being, like, a lot of, like, the... Uh, sort of it's like uh, moral crises over moral crises in a way and everything of like you know having these like think pieces about like it's like this like this garbagey person was like protested by five students um and it's like yeah you know and it's like you know yeah sure like you can obviously like argue and i would agree that like you know that's annoying i you can argue and i would likely agree that like that's not an effective way of implementing change but but who gives a shit like mm -hmm. jesus christ yeah well it's, um, like, it's like listening to joe rogan i can't remember what the episode was but of course joe rogan has all these like he claims to be a left like on a liberal guy but all of his guests are right dudes you know mm -hmm. um and so he had this one who was it might have even been jordan peterson who was talking about how there was somebody being protested at a college and he's like and the students were were banging on the windows and throwing chairs and spraying graffiti and i'm listening to that and i'm like that's fucking awesome like that's cool <laughs> like what's like well, first of all what's the problem i don't understand i don't understand why we're upset that somebody got their feelings hurt because a group of people didn't like what they said so they decided to cause a rug like it's all can we all just grow up you know it's not it's not fascism it's not like taking away your free speech it's just that you know if i go into a you know I don't know, uh, where's a predominantly black space? Harlem, right? Wearing a KKK robe. It's not going to go well for me, you know? Like, the, right. the, thing, the things that you say and the things that you bring to certain spaces are not going to be good. So if you go to Berkeley and you're going to be Milo Yiannopoulos, yeah, people are going to fuck shit up. Like, because that's, that's Berkeley. I mean, anyway, I don't know. It kind of went off on a tangent there. No, no, no. I, I think that, like, I mean, that's, you know... It's a thing to be like, I, I think like one of the, uh, like what's like tied to that and everything like, and like I internally, like, you know, I have that like reaction. I have like a very visceral gut reaction to sort of like seeing like someone like Charles Murray or like Jordan Peterson, like just get like torn into and everything is like, yeah, you know, like fuck those guys. They're incredibly garbagey people. Um, I do think that there is like a, 
the thing that I've had to check myself on has been um, realizing that that's, it's just not a effective uh, tactic in terms of mm. confronting because because it just like turns these like people who are like these mediocre like thinkers and philosophers and like have terrible critical thinking um, are like just turning the like the. Mm, it's like reinforcing their value yeah. in society when there isn't any. Right. Um, if if basically like if if the students at that whatever university, the University of Toronto, when Jordan Peterson said, "I'm not going to say the pronouns," if everybody was like, "Whatever, dickhead," like there would be no Jordan Peterson, you know? Right. Like, but and, it, <laughs> and then the, and the, but and like the the. Uh, the way that it gets presented in like news publications though that I think is like very like harmful, disingenuous and like completely in bad faith is how it again taking these like instances of this really small number of people like you know like on this campus like you know like a dozen people or something being essentially a dick to these like garbagey people and everything yeah, yeah exactly and you know out of like you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of people on like this campus and everything. It's like, yeah, if you have like, however many number of like people or anything, you're going to have like some percentage who's like not doing something particularly like tactically savvy. Who are dicks. Yeah. Just dickheads. You know, like there's dickheads on the right and the left. And that's, Something that I was to, was I was Who talking gives to, a shit yeah exactly I was talking to a, I, I will never forget this this was the first seed of this that I had gotten and it was from a friend of mine who uh, I think it's I think it's they now because they are transgender so I think it's they anyway um, I was talking to them about this issue about basically students you know kind of like wrecking shit and you know being loud and obnoxious and completely misusing these rhetorical devices and ideologies and they said it's like yeah so did i i did too when i was in college and they said like you just kind of grow out of it you know it's just like like with with maturity you start to realize like oh that's kind of a because when you're young you just want to fix everything and you want to burn it all down and replace it all and and this friend of mine who's one of the smartest people that i know is just like you just have to you can't use that to demonize this whole entire thing because it's literally not to sound too patronizing, but it will. It's kids being kids, right? Right. The students being students. So relax. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, like, again, like you don't have, this has been like used like over and over again, like, um, you know, it's super cliche, but you know, it's like, I, I live in uh, Western Massachusetts with like five colleges and, you know, like they, you know, they have like riots when like, you know, UMass Amherst wins or something like that mm-hmm. and everything like, you know, it's like, you know, it's, uh, yeah. Who, who gives a shit? Okay. <laughs> Just having these like, yeah, like, um, yeah, I guess that's it that I really have with it. But like, I, I do think that's like very harmful and dangerous to like over like inflate the importance of these things because again, it's like you know check back and like ask yourself like what what else are these like handfuls of students like influencing like negatively and everything mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you know like um, are we really gonna turn like, into a fucking gulag, Mister Peterson? Right. Doctor Peterson, are we gonna be? Right. Are we going to be the uh, the fucking Gulag Archipelago? Because I've read the Gulag Archipelago, and we are we're pretty far off from that. 
Right, right. Absolutely, absolutely. And, like, that's not to say that there aren't, um, obviously, like, you know, there isn't aspects of, like, you know, a freedom of speech crises, like, occurring sure, in the yeah. U.S. in terms of, you know, we've been locking up journalists and, you know, like, you know, trying to ban people for their views on Israel and Palestine from yeah. speaking at different areas. And, like, you know, that that's... <laughs> unfortunately it doesn't get talked about as much right. um so again more reason to you know who gives a shit about the other stuff <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. i love that that's such, that's such a great note to end on too uh we have gone up <laughs> an hour and 15 we went a little bit over thank you for your time i appreciate you uh humoring me but yeah i didn't want that conversation to stop so um so there it is thanks so much for your cool. time awesome thank you uh, so much for having me on really appreciate it